Welcome back to Spirit Squared. I'm Andrew Darrington, your host. We're here, episode eight, with Josh in the historic Beckham Hotel. This is our first Zoom uh, podcast. Looking forward to our guest. So we we want to recognize the Beckham Hotel. We've got a potential first sponsor. Uh, they were on our podcast last time, the Q and Brew there in Canton. Thanks so much. Uh, if you decide to to move forward, we'd love to be able to recognize you on each of our podcasts. And then at Castle and Key, that's who I'm wearing here. I uh, went there a couple of uh, weeks ago and had a great time there at Castle and Key. It's a beautiful property. It's the old Taylor Distillery and a beautiful, beautiful property. If you ever get a chance to get down in, uh, in Louisville and, and that area, you definitely want to stop in. Uh, our guest tonight is the famous Alex Shaw. Uh, of whiskey weight loss. We, we're going to dive into a lot of different topics tonight. So glad to have Alex on the program. We're gonna we're gonna make our first pour here. Uh, we both uh, we're we're not together. I wish we were, but we're gonna make uh, some E H Taylor small batch. Uh, Alex, do you do you drink this often or? Yeah, man, I I, I drink this a ton. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Buffalo Traces number one Mashville. Um, all of the stuff across there from the low proof stuff all the way up to E.H. Taylor barrel proof. Uh, count, count me a big fan of that. So uh, this bottle's almost empty and, and with good reason. Right. I, it's one of my favorite winter pours because it's it's got a like a rye build to it. It's got a lot rye strand to it that when it we start getting the fall and the winter, it's just got that cinnamon flavor to me uh it's got a lot of caramel to it um i just i enjoy it it's hard to find now it was one of the first bourbons that i really hunted um my mom's maiden name is taylor and so there was an affection to that well my grandfather's name was blanton taylor so you can imagine blanton taylor's i mean come on the uh, so we did the genealogy and there is some connective ink interconnected not direct but you know close enough um, and so I just fell in love with the the, the whole line and, and really enjoy it. And glad we're starting with it, man. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, looking forward to diving into this a little bit more. So, Alex, obviously, with that, we can all hear that you're you're from England, correct? Yes, I am from England. Although I've been, uh, you know, in, in America, in Texas, long enough. To pick up on a few of the language habits, uh, but with enough alcohol, the original accent does come out. So let's see right. that in the podcast how uh, how we feel about it. <laughs> and you're you're in Plano, correct? Yeah, not too far away from you. Gotcha. So talk talk to us about your your you know your upbringing, and uh, I, I I've seen your posts on Facebook. I mean, you started out life a little heavier. Right. And so they're obviously kids develop habits in school and after school eating, things of that nature. Uh, just so everybody knows, Alex has a program. It's in personal fitness. So we'll talk a little bit about how light bulb kind of went off. But talk to us a little bit about, you know, your, your, your youth. Absolutely, man. So, you know, nutrition, exercise, taking care of yourself, it wasn't like a big focus of my upbringing it's not like we ate like crap every day right i think it's a story very familiar to the average person you just kind of ate what was in front of you 
and I'd like to eat as a kid. I liked finishing my plate and then I would eat like some of my mom's plate and then I would eat some of my sister's plate and I just ate a lot of food. You know, my parents cooked reasonably healthy meals. You know, it wasn't uh, french fries every night kind of thing. There were vegetables on the plate and I wasn't a fussy eater. But at the end of the day, you know, volume of food matters. And I just ate and ate and ate and I had a bit of a sweet tooth. So sometimes I would eat too much of that. And I ended up being an overweight teenager, right? Like nothing, nothing crazy overweight, but definitely like known as one of the fat kids in school kind of thing. And it got to a point where I didn't love it. Um, and me and my dad went to a local gym. We both signed up and, you know, had the whole personal trainer orientation thing and, you know, tried to do some of that. But really that kind of sign up to the gym moment that was what started me down the fitness rabbit hole. And anyone who knows me will know that I kind of, you know, go deep when I fall down a rabbit hole. And fitness has been a lifelong rabbit hole for me. So basically, I just started, you know, reading magazines. At that point, it was like Men's Health Magazine, right? Which, mm -hmm. spoiler for some people, is not the, like, Bible of fitness that it is advertised to be. But it was a decent starting point. And then magazines led to blog posts, right? So in the 2000s and probably the early 2010s was kind of the golden years of fitness blogging before we had TikTok and YouTube shorts, right? Media now is dominated by short, short form video. Back then it was all about blog posts and I consumed this stuff like a madman. So I would, you know, get five different newsletters of the five best fitness articles on the inset today and I would read and I would read I would digest and then I would go try it in the gym and effectively through a few years of trial and error kind of took myself from being an overweight kind of chubby kid to like reasonably in shape right I'm, I'm not going to be mistaken for a uh, NFL combine candidate anytime soon but reasonably in shape, reasonably strong. I dabbled in powerlifting a little bit. I dabbled in Olympic lifting a little bit. But at the end of the day, kind of settled into what most people would call like a, a normal fitness routine, right? Like lifting three to five days a week when, you know, back when I was a, a teenager. I had a You're going to get some train noise. Sorry. We've got trains here. Yeah, That's all good. Just so you know, we have to a train that takes you from Mineola, Texas. Uh, which is north of, of Tyler, all the way to, to, to uh, Fort Worth. That's oh, wow. An Amtrak. So Got it. It, it, we may get one more, I think. So sorry about that. No worries. No worries. So yeah, you know, that, that kind of journey of just discovering and digesting and then implementing and trial and error is really what kind of led me through this transformation as a young person. And with that physical transformation, you kind of get a lot of change between the years too. So being an overweight kid, wasn't particularly confident, wasn't particularly outgoing. And once I made that transition, like it truly, it sounds cliche, but I truly felt like a new person. You have a different outlook on life. You approach social situations differently, which was a big deal for me as a kid. And when I was kind of growing up in school, I always had like a fascination with like, I was a science kid, right? I liked learning how the body works. When I was a teenager, I thought I was going to grow up and study medicine, right? Maybe become a doctor, something like that. And then going through the fitness transformation, 
and seeing not only what it did to my physical kind of well-being, but also like my mental well-being and social well-being, it kind of, you know, inspired me to pursue more of a preventative medicine approach, which ended up manifesting as personal fitness and just being able to try and do for other people what fitness had done for me. And that was really kind of like the light bulb moment that pushed me into that. And that took me to, you know, studying exercise science at university at the undergraduate level. And then uh, I did my master's in exercise physiology. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, there was a little bit of foreshadowing. I did my master's thesis in the effect of hangover on exercise performance. Now this is going to get into whiskey, but it's kind of just a fun little uh, seed that was planted there. Yeah, I saw the I saw you a post where you guys would test uh, people like you just get them smashed and then bring them in that that morning to do exercise and 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 do testing on endurance and and testing on aptitude and things like that and that that's a I'm not I wouldn't be a good candidate for that <laughs> I'd be the guy on the bench laying down somewhere something. Yeah, so that that was the that was the exact thesis I was just referencing, and actually, you would have been a perfect candidate because we were looking to see if hangover made a difference. And you may not enjoy it, Andrew, but you would have provided some excellent data. Yeah, I mean, as we get older, those those nights uh, impact us quite a bit more. Um, I remember mowing the yard after some long nights, six thirty, and it, there was no impact. And now, uh, uh-uh, no, the sun's got to come up and through the blinds. <laughs> for me to get up so absolutely i i don't know how um you know we we did that as as younger people just uh you know drinking staying up till the small hours waking up you know three four hours later and having a normal day i think a night like that would take 48 hours for me to recover now yeah i mean it's it's got to be metabolism that's that's just got you know i didn't drink a lot of water back then either so it's maybe the maybe it was the cheap beer i i don't know that, that I partnered with the whiskey. Who knows? Uh, is the, yeah. Um, so you, you came to the United States to study, I assume? Yeah. So long story, very long story short, about seven years. When I did my first year at uh, England in, in undergrad, uh, where I was studying exercise science, I got to the summer and, you know, I didn't really know what to do. I could go get a bar job. I could go back to, you know, my hometown. And there were these middlemen companies, basically, that came to England college campuses and said, hey, do you want to come be a camp counselor, right? You get to, you work for eight weeks during the summer camp season, then you get a month to travel US on a travel visa. And that was kind of fun, right? You basically earn money during the summer and then you spend it all while traveling. And I actually, I did that my first year of college in England. I did it my second year. I ended up doing it five years in a row. Well, that was that was in Western Massachusetts, and then in the middle of that, uh, of those five years, I came to Texas to do a study abroad year just for fun, basically. Right. And uh, that's I, I got off the plane, I went to bed, I woke up, I met the girl that is now my wife. Wow. Cool. Okay. And then yeah, when I when I went home, I needed a way back in the country. Despite what the media will tell you, it's actually not easy to get a visa into the U.S. Right. And um, that's when I came back, did my master's degree in Texas at the University of North Texas in Denton. Yep. And then that's uh, that's where I did that master's thesis that I mentioned earlier, uh, getting people drunk for science. 
and then we got married and and now i'm still here damn that's all it's already a great story i mean we can still no we're not gonna stop um man i want to get into some things that i know you know a lot about and that's a uh, diet um we're gonna get into your program in a, in a second but i want to get into uh, a couple of of kind of I mean, they're not really taboo, but they're they're all over the internet. They're all, you know, if you it's one of those things where if you Google it, it's gonna end up in your Facebook feed. I mean, it's like one of those things. So I've heard a lot about like keto diet, carnivore diet, um, and I'm sure you have views on both clean eating clean, um, you know, gluten-free, the gamut. Um I know that kind of what I was taught in school or in college or and um in health and fitness was like just have a balanced diet. Like don't overcomplicate it. But it seems like there are certain talking heads that are really advocating and talking about health benefits that are related to certain diets. Can you yeah, elaborate a little bit on that? Absolutely. So I'd love to start by talking about keto and carnivore together. Okay. Um, and first of all, I'm going to preface all of this by saying it's really hard to make money off of a balanced diet, right? If I was a fitness company and all I was doing was promoting a balanced diet, no one's going to buy that because it doesn't have a hook, right? When you see all of these diets, right, the carnivore diet has a sexy hook, right? Only right. Eat, eat all the meat you want and lose weight. Keto, right? Eat all of that. The meat sounds sexy. <laughs> For sure. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and clean eating almost has this kind of like cult-like following where anything processed is going, is bad, right? And all of these diets have a hook, they peak interest, and then they normally get some kind of correct science, but science that is pulled out of context to back up their their claims. So intermittent fasting is a great one that I'll use for this. So there's a lot of like longevity benefits associated with intermittent fasting. But those same health benefits are also present with just general calorie restriction. Right. So it's not that eating for only four hours a day is good for health. It's eating less calories is good for health. How you do that you know, can vary. One of the ways you can do that is intermittent fasting. Like, there's nothing wrong with intermittent fasting, but there is nothing magical about it. And that's something that I want to really apply to all of these. So we'll go back to keto and carnivore, right? Keto being carbs of the devil and carnivore being everything but meat is, is bad. If you only eat meat and you only eat like our ancestors, then, you know, that's the secret to health. Which is a great story, but not necessarily true. The reason these diets work primarily is because they get people to stop eating the ultra-processed high-calorie foods that otherwise would be included. So if we think about everything, or if we think about the things that are excluded from all of the diets you just mentioned, right? Carnivore, clean eating, keto. The things that you can't have on those diets. Uh, pizza, brownies, cookies, potato chips, right? And as I'm listing these things off, 
your mouth might start watering a little bit because we literally have like a Pavlovian response to some of these foods. Sure. And the trouble with those foods is that they contain the perfect amount of salt, fat, and carbohydrates, and sometimes that carbohydrate is in the form of sugar, to basically light up our brain and make our brain go really happy. And when that happens, we crave that food. Right? If I, Andrew, if I gave you a plain potato, an apple, and a piece of grilled chicken, right? And you ate all that food, not the most tasty food in the world. Right. You will get full based on what you eat. Right. Right? The more chicken you eat, the more full you'll feel, the less you will subsequently want chicken. But if we take pizza, which is a wonderful combination of fat, salt, carbs, also not particularly high in protein, also not particularly high in fiber. I don't know about you. I find it really hard to stop at one slice of pizza. Absolutely. I find it really hard to stop at two slices of pizza. Absolutely. I find it hard to stop until the entire pizza is gone. It, most of the time, yes. Exactly. And why is that? Because those foods are basically creating this massive dopamine response in our brain, and our brain wants more dopamine. So the more pizza you eat doesn't necessarily make you more full. It just makes you crave more food. And, you know, limiting those foods and understanding how to have them in moderation is really the key to weight loss success. In addition to being slightly more active, eating more protein, eating more fiber, eating fewer calories, right? There's a few kind of boxes you have to check to lose weight sustainably. And losing weight can be accomplished using any of those diets, but it's not the magic thing, right? It's not only eating meat that's the key to weight loss. It's not avoiding carbs that's the key to weight loss. It's avoiding those ultra-processed foods in very high quantities while also promoting uh, protein and also promoting fiber. Like, one of the things that carnivore does really well is it promotes a high-protein intake. That's great, because protein is filling, especially for the number of calories. Meat generally, um, you know, high in nutrients, depending on the cut of meat you get, which is great. But if you go carnivore, you are probably going to have uh, a pretty low fiber intake. That's not ideal. Right. You're probably going to have a fairly low intake of certain vitamins and minerals, right? Like, yes, you can technically get a lot of nutrients from meat, but unless you're eating a lot of organ meats, it's going to be tough to get certain certain nutrition that you need. On keto, similar thing. Typically, people cut down refined carbs when they start a keto diet. And they normally have a medium amount of protein in their diet, which is good. So if you actually go too high in protein, it actually takes you out of ketosis and you're now no longer doing keto. You're just doing a low-carb diet. And there's nothing wrong with a low-carb diet, right? Because it normally means you remove a lot of those ultra-processed foods. But also, if you follow keto and added, you know, rice and potato, you would be just fine. It would actually probably help your weight loss. So it's not the carbs that are the issue. It's the ultra-processed foods which carbs play a large part in. Does that kind of make sense, what I've, I've said so far? And Yeah, I think that... Everybody wants the the one pitch wonder. They want you know it to be stupid simple. They want it to be just if I just eat meat, then I'll my headache stop. 
my backache stop. I lose weight. I feel better about myself. I have less anxiety. You know, I've just like, you know, um, can't remember his last name, but Jordan, uh, the oh, Peterson Peterson. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's really pushed, you know, this carnivore diet, how much it's helped his anxiety, how much it's helped his, uh, you know, his stamina and all these things. And somebody that's as well known as he is, a lot of people, even myself were drawn into it a bit. And, and not only that, but as a male, it's a lot easier just to eat meat. Oh, we'll deal with the greens. I don't have to deal with the vegetables. I don't have to deal. I'm not a big bread eater personally. Some people are. You got to have a roll at every dinner or every lunch, or they got to have it, you know, their sandwich on a bread. Um, down here, we have to have it on tortillas all the time or what have you. Um, but uh, it's an appealing, it's an appealing way of life is to make it simple stupid this is what i do you know kind of a dummy effect yeah and i think people are drawn like human nature is fast and easy right that's what that's what we crave human nature on average there are certain people who like the difficult thing and they like doing hard things for the sake of it all power to them but the majority of people want fast and they want easy and that is why these diets are so popular right just eat meat fast easy all right, keto, lose weight very, very quickly. That's the thing, right? You lose weight super quickly on keto. Right. But the problem is, is that when you ignore all of that nuance, ultimately it is always going to be unsustainable. There are a few people that can only eat meat for the rest of their lives. Right. Right? But I, that's not me. Like, I don't have kids, but if I have a five-year-old, and they come up to me and they say, hey, daddy, like, here's your slice of birthday cake because it's my birthday. Are you going to say, oh, no, honey, daddy's on a diet. He can't have some of your birthday cake. Right. right. Sure. No one's doing that. No so one should do that and be happy, right? Right, exactly. No there's, got, there's got to be nuance. Because if you only do, like, fast and simple comes at the expense of long-term success. Right. Whereas if you take a little bit more time to understand some of the nuances up front and accept that maybe, you know, 10 pounds in the first two weeks is not something you need to have. You can make this a much easier long-term approach. Like at the end of the day, does it, if you're going to drop 50 pounds, does it really matter if it takes six months or a year? Right. And if I had to make it a binary option of like, hey, you can lose 50 pounds in six months, but there's a really high chance that you regain it, you know, six months after that. Or if they say, hey, you can lose 50 pounds in a year, but there's a really high chance it stays off for life. Right. Right. Like even now, the part of our brain that goes, I want fast and easy still wants option number one. Because we prioritize now as opposed to the future. Whereas, you know, the correct answer is the, is the second one. And I've actually, like, um, I've got a great client uh, that, that really epitomizes this. So his, his name is Josh. Uh, and, and he lost over 100 pounds multiple times before me and him kind of worked together. Right. right. He would drop from three-something to two-something, you know, super hard. He was a big keto person while he was doing that. 
Right. And now what we did was we kind of slowed it down a little bit. Now he's still like 50 pounds down, right? Over a year later. And he's crushing it. And he's added a bunch of muscle mass to his frame as well. Like looks yeah. great, posture's better, all of these good things. But we have to do a little bit of mindset work at the start to just be like, it's okay if this takes a little bit of time, right? Hopefully he's got another 50, 60 years on this planet. It's right. okay if we take a few extra months to get you to where you want to be. Right. And it's that- And do it the right way. Sorry? And do it the right way. And do it the right way. Yeah. It's kind of like building a house. Like you can build a house really quickly if you cut corners, but eventually right. that house is going to look like crap and fall down. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is if when you explain it to people like that, you know, when, when, when you say to someone, Hey, do you want your builder, the one that's building your, your dream house, your forever home, do you want them to, uh, cut corners and, you know, finish the job six months early and they'll go, Oh no, no, don't do that. Why? That's a suit. What, what, why would you want that? Right. Right. But a house is something you can sell and you can buy another one. You can build another one. You give them that same proposition with their own body, the thing that you can't trade in, you can't buy a new one. Once it gets past a certain point of no return, you can't fix. Right. Right? They're, they're going to try and take all the shortcuts they can. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the biggest issue that I have, and I'm no expert, but just looking at it from the outside in that I have with the, 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 the buying, just the one way street diets. Um, because people just can't sustain that lifestyle forever. So it works temporarily. You know, you do it until you get sick of it or until it becomes inconvenient for you to do it, or you become, you, you get into a different lifestyle, or like you said, you have kids, you, you your, your life changes. And then it, there's a, okay, well, I've got to do this or. We're, we're, you know, now I have a new group of, of coworkers and we go out on Thursday nights or whatever. It, it, there's a variety of things that happen in life that can, can pull you from this dedicated one way of doing things. And the same thing goes for like the pills. Um, I am not a pill prescription person. I just, I think that pharmacology has we're in a society that's like, just take a pill and it'll fix it versus what let's take care of ourselves by a variety of things that we can do for ourselves. And, 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 and then if we want to have a, a dram of whiskey, if we want to, if we want to have a slice of pizza, two slices of pizza, it's not a big deal because there's going to be balance there. The same thing with injectables. Yes, you can take those. Um, and they're popular for appetite suppressant. But are you going to do that forever? No, you're not. There's just You're just not going to do it. So it, it's a short-term feel-good. You're doing it because you're going to the beach. And you start it in January, and you're going to, you know, you're going to go to the beach in June. And you're going to be, you know, 20 pounds thinner, and you're going to feel great during those six days. And then after you come back, it's you're going to be a slugger and, until, until December. And it's just what I see the process being with these fads and these diets. And, and it, you can hear the press all you want. You can read the Google reviews all you want. But the, the, the fact is it slaps you in the face is that it's not permanent. Absolutely. And I'm really glad you brought up some of that stuff. I think, you know, that the injectables, especially right now, are very popular. Um, 
you know, for good reason. This this is genuinely, I think, the first pharmacological aid that that works, right? But we also have to take into account everything you just said and how they work too. Uh, you know, any drug that's newer on the market, we don't have long-term data on it. Um, so far, they've been relatively safe. Um, but, you know, what you just said of, you know, use the injections, lose the weight, eventually it stops working because you haven't adjusted your lifestyle to match it. And then you're really stuck because if you come off the injections, all of the weight comes back. Right. Those are those lifestyle things. So you get stuck on the injections forever until eventually you either like don't want to take them or you can't afford to take them. Right. And you know, then you're stuck between a, a rock and a hard place. So my like my somewhat educated, um, you know, I'm I'm not a pharmacist, uh, or or a you know, weight loss drug expert. Um, I'm a lifestyle coach, so maybe I'm biased a little bit too. My view is that they are a great aid for certain people. Right. Like, Lee, if you're 400 pounds and you want to lose weight, we'll take everything that we can get, right? You kind of need to get the weight off first and then figure out to how to maintain it because it's a walking time bomb at right. that point. Yep. But where I see, and unfortunately I see this a lot with um, women and, and some guys too, it's like they're trying to get from like 140 to 120 or like from 180 to 160. Right, that that last twenty pounds that really doesn't do a whole like it did a little bit for your health. Don't get me wrong, but it's a very different proposition than the guy that's four hundred pounds and looking to get you know close to a normal BMI. And when you take those injections and you don't exercise, some of that weight loss will come from muscle mass. Right. This this is a worst case scenario for, for weight loss, and this happens again in crash diets as well. You know, like the juice cleanses that are extended or the crazy diets where you eat like nothing of real substance and just starve yourself into weight loss, you lose muscle mass. And that's a problem because a lot of the calories you burn throughout the day come from your metabolism. Sure. A lot of people think it's, um, you know, how, how active you are throughout the day and how many calories you burn for your workouts. And they, they play a role, but it's actually a pretty small role. Your metabolism makes up about 70% of the energy you burn which is huge. Not many people know that. So when, and the biggest thing that influences metabolism that we can control is muscle mass. Right. So if you go on a crash diet or you lose a bunch of weight using these injections and you don't work out and you don't prioritize protein, you will lose muscle mass. Well, that's a problem because now your metabolism is shrinking, which means that whenever you come off of those injections or they just stop working and you, you kind of plateau at some point they will now you're kind of screwed because your metabolism is lower you've kind of you've, you've put yourself you know 10 yards behind the start line you've taken one step forward to then take two steps back and if you don't make those lifestyle adjustments the weight will eventually come back right. you'll have lost that muscle mass so now your metabolism will be lower and your margin for error on terms of what you eat will be much smaller. Right. So there's a reason, you know, I you've probably seen them on on YouTube or TikTok or or even billboards sometimes. You see the really big guys, right? Like, you know, 220, 250 pound, and they're like thick muscle. Right? 
those guys can eat pretty much whatever they want and still get close to a six-pack year-round because they have so much muscle mass that their metabolism is burning like a furnace. Right. And they could, they could eat a whole pizza, and it won't really make a dent right. because they're able to burn so much energy through their metabolism. Now, I'm not saying you have to get to 250 pounds muscle, but what I will say is that if you plan to lose weight, and especially if you plan to use the injectables, you really want to incorporate resistance training and a kind of higher protein intake to try and minimize that effect and maybe even boost your metabolism throughout the weight loss process. Yeah, that's exactly where I was headed. Um, I think this is a good segue to your program. Um, I just got Josh a little pour of uh, E.H. Taylor out. It's just pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> He's enjoying it as well. Um, and uh, and we got one more, but but I see you're you're still you're still finishing yours, and I am too uh, of the Taylor. I'm savoring mine. So yeah, uh, me too. I'm I'm a big fan of small sips. Get the flavor on each one, like you said. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A little bit hard to find, so I'm I'm not trying to I'm not trying to shoot mine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's a great segue. We're we've talked a little bit about the fads. We talked about um, some of the. I I just think that they're just like temporary. Like they're more runway type stuff. Like hey, let's just do. I need to do this for four months so that I look good for this event or this you know vacation or whatever i'm gonna see the you know i'm going to family union and i need to lose 20 pounds that's the way i see these types of things fitting in life in general i mean they have a place and that's what they're good for in my opinion um what you got what you do so you've launched in uh, 2021 or late 2020 early 2021 you launched a program uh, i've been through it so i'm not going to talk too much about it but if you leave any details out I'll be sure to kind of add some of those uh, things that people need to know. Uh, but uh, I've been through your program. You launched it in 2021. Um, it incorporates, it's, it's focused on whiskey drinkers. And that's the niche is you have your background, you have your master's, you did, did your thesis, all that good stuff. But, you know, it don't have to necessarily be a whiskey drinker in order to be in your program. Um, and, and I think it's important to talk about the connectivity between um, accountability for eating. So you're eating accountability. What are you eating? And, you know, how is it nourishing your body? Um, and, and how is it getting you to your goal? And then B, movement. Um, and what you're doing to, to, to move more than you have and may possibly have resistance, some weight training, um, maybe some, some uh, calisthenics. Uh, yoga, I did yoga for the, I've done yoga a couple times. It didn't look good, but I've done, I did it. Um, and, and it's very much more difficult than it looks like. Uh, but I think it's important to understand that you can't just do one. It's not that easy. Yeah. Let, let me dive into that. So a really good question, Andrew. I appreciate the introduction into it as well. So, you know, I, I think we kind of covered a lot of stuff on nutrition, right? And we kind of, you know, um, busted the myth that there is something magic when it comes to nutrition, right? It's not excluding carbs. It's not, uh, you know, just eat this magic combination of foods or these specific macros, right? That's not true. The thing that I think everyone needs when it comes to a weight loss plan 
is really individualization. It's customization. It's it's tailoring. And people might you know hear the t- the the name whiskey weight loss and think, what? Like, do you do you drink whiskey and work out? Like, I've been asked that quite a few times. No, we we don't drink whiskey and then work out. But here's here's what it is, right? One dumbbell, one one uh, Glen Karen, right? Yes, exactly. One ounce, <laughs> one ounce curls. We do a lot of those, right? So you know, there are certain boxes we have to check if we want to lose weight. Like bluntly, you've got to eat less calories than you burn. You've got to be a little bit more active than you used to be. You've got to be very moderate in terms of that level of, you know, ultra processed food. So like, I'm not going to say here, you can eat pizza three times a week and expect to lose a ton of weight. What I will tell you though, is like a couple of slices every now and then, not a deal breaker. So what it is, you know, every good weight loss coach will do a few things. They will adjust your nutrition so that we, you know, lower calories, increase protein, increase fiber. They might do some things with fats and carbs and stuff like that, especially if they're more on like the athlete side of stuff. They'll also implement a exercise plan, right? We've already talked about the role that muscle plays in uh, metabolism. Mm-hmm. So prioritizing some level of resistance training is huge. Sure. And then also hopefully they will work on addressing some of the stuff between the ears right? The brain stuff. And this is where, you know, you and I have talked about how accountability is huge. Yes. Also mindset work, undoing all of the bullshit that people get told during their weight loss journey. Oh, you, you, you can't have that. You're on a diet or something like, oh no, you, you can't have a uh, sweet corn. That's got too much sugar in it. Right. All, all, you know, fruit makes you fat. Fruit doesn't make you fat. All of this kind of bullshit that you may have heard so every good weight loss coach will do those things. Here's what makes whiskey weight loss different. And you kind of alluded to, you don't have to be a whiskey drinker, but that's primarily the people I work with because I'm a whiskey drinker and I like working with people that I have, you know, common interests with basically. Sure. The thing that makes a good coach a good coach for you is that they have a deep understanding of your lifestyle and the challenges that you might encounter. So Andrew, let's let's use something that you and I might understand, but the average Joe on the street might not, right? A bottle share, right? Group of friends get together, you all bring a few different bottles, everyone grabs a, a Glencairn, and just go around drinking and chatting, right? That doesn't work on a normal diet, because normal diets say no alcohol, no fun, and definitely not that level of whiskey in one evening. Right. Whereas in whiskey weight loss, we're like, hey, like that's just, you know, that's a part, that's something you might do as being a fan of whiskey. Here's how you prep for that. Here's how you include that in your lifestyle without it tanking all of your weight loss progress. Right. Because what happens on a normal diet is the normal diet says you can't have alcohol, right? And then you go to a whiskey bottle share because it's your friend's birthday or they, you know, they haven't been in town and you want to catch up and blah, 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 blah. And you have a few drinks. And then the diet or the coach that's behind that diet says, shame on you, Andrew. We're trying to lose weight here. How dare you go and have a drink and make you feel shit about yourself? Right. That's not productive at all. Whereas what we do inside Whiskey Weight Loss is say, hey, like, I know you've got this thing coming up. Here's how to manage hydration so you don't feel like complete shit the next day. Here's how to moderate your food intake both the day before, the day during, and the day after. Nothing crazy. But just a few things here and there, 
right? How to manage the post bourbon munchies, right? Best things to kind of late night snack on and how you can maybe make some easy adjustments during the day to have a bit more flexibility for your social occasions. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all of the nuance that we kind of look at inside whiskey weight loss that you may not get doing a keto diet with a keto coach. Right. So, you know, and, you know, exercise is absolutely a part of it. Um, you know, some people like to work out at a gym. Some people like to work out at home. Um, some people love calisthenics. Some people love powerlifting, right? So I use my background as a personal trainer, uh, you know, both in person and online for many years now, way before Whiskey Weight Loss started, to create something that works around what you've got. Because it doesn't need to be optimal. It just needs to be good enough to get the results you want while also working around your lifestyle. Right. That's the thing I think that most people miss, right? And if you're listening to this instead of watching it, I'm sorry, I'm going to do some hand gestures here. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, please. But uh, most diets, they force you to work around the diet, right? Carnivore says nothing but meat. Keto says no carbs. You're changing your lifestyle around the diet. That doesn't work. That's not sustainable. Right. What you need instead is for the diet to mold around you. So a few examples of clients that I've worked with recently. One person was like, I snack once and then I have one meal a day. We're like, cool. Here's what you can do so that you don't eat 5,000 calories in that one meal because you might be hungry. Right? Here's the things that you can snack on to get the most bang for your buck so you get the most nutrition. Here's how to modify, you know, what you do during the day so that, you know, you don't feel like crap when you work out. Now, another person is completely different. They're actually not a big evening person, but they're a much bigger breakfast eater and they like snacking little bits throughout the day. So we made a few adjustments to their breakfast, right? I said, I literally, like, I go through a nutrition consult with people right. and go, hey, like, instead of this tortilla, try this low carb, low carb one. Right. And instead of like pan frying your like breakfast potatoes, do them in the air fryer with oil spray. Right. And those simple changes could result in like two to 300 calories seized. That's right. That's right. Right. And that can either be banked and go towards weight loss, or maybe that's a one ounce, two ounce pour of whiskey at the end of the day. Right. And it's all about making these small changes and it has to feel doable. Right. It has to feel easy because if it doesn't feel easy, we won't do it. And if it doesn't feel easy, we sure as hell won't do it for the rest of our lives, which is really the goal here. Not a diet, not a, not a deadline, but changes that you can make that feel sustainable um, for the rest of time. And so I'll speak from my end as the user or the, the client uh, side of things. Um, you, so you have, a, uh, you have your Facebook page um, where you do most of the marketing side of things and talk, you promote your clients, uh, which I think is awesome. Uh, you give them shout outs. Um, and then when you get into your program, you, you have an app that you download and, uh, that app, uh, you, you do uh, some measurements, you do measurements to kind of, cause we want to measure progress, not just weight, right? There's really? more than just that it's stomach, arms uh torso there's there's more than just one measurement and i think i thought that was a great 
part of it because, you know, like my wife, she didn't, women just synthesize things differently. And so she would not see progress from the LBs, but she would see progress around her torso or around her chest or there. So there were gains made. They just weren't on the scale. And sometimes people need different reference points to see progress. Absolutely. I'm going to jump in on that, Andrew. Okay, good. Sorry. Did I tell you something that you were going to say? No, I'm glad you brought it up yeah. um, for sure. So, you know, different people lose weight differently. Right. Different people gain muscle differently. Yeah. So, you know, if you just looked at the scale, you would probably prefer to lose 20 pounds over 15 pounds, right? Absolutely. But what if I told you that the person that lost 15 pounds, they actually gained 10 pounds of muscle during the process. Now, 10 is a lot. You're probably not gaining that in a short amount of time, but let's just use it as an example. Sure. So if you've gained 10 pounds of muscle and you've lost 15 pounds, that means you've lost 25 pounds of fat. That's right. And replaced it with 10 pounds of muscle. Yep. That is a hell of a change. Yes. And if you were just going by scale weight, you might go, oh, I've only lost 15 pounds like this. This doesn't feel that like, you know, validating for how much work you've put in. Right. But if you were looking at the measurements as well, you might go, holy shit, I've lost seven, eight inches around my waist. That's right. Right. And I've gained an inch and a half in my biceps and stuff like that. So I think that's probably another thing the, the average person on the street maybe misses out on by going, you know, the fast and easy route. Yeah. They're judging stuff just by the scale. And I'll tell you a, a funny story real quick. The scale lies to you a lot. So I was um, I was doing a weight loss phase. I was doing a photo shoot, right? And everyone everyone likes to look their best for a photo shoot. So I was on a weight loss phase. Um, I went fairly hard into it. If I would do it in hindsight, I probably wouldn't diet as hard for it. But I was 169 at the time. It's probably the lightest I've been as an adult. Wow. And, yeah. And uh, we had some friends over. And basically, I'd been so strict with myself that my brain was just, you know, it had all of these cookies. And, you know, I think we had pizza that night. There was beer out. There was all the good stuff, right? Because we were hosting at the time. I don't remember the exact reason. But, uh... I had a few drinks and then I had a slice of pizza. And then that, that part of my brain that goes, Hey, Alex, we really like pizza. We should have more of that. And I had a couple more slices of pizza and then some cookies. And I went back to the pizza and another beer. And yeah, you know, it, it was a lot. It was, I, won't, I won't lie. There was, there was a lot of overconsumption here, right? Just because I do this professionally doesn't mean I'm not fallible. Uh, right. I'm just on average doing pretty well. But there's, there's times when I'm not. And I weighed myself the next day. The next day, I got on the scale, slightly hungover, very hungover, actually, and I weighed 177 pounds. I gained eight pounds overnight, Andrew. Wow. But here's the thing. It wasn't body fat. There is no physical way to gain eight pounds of body fat overnight. Right? Eight pounds of body fat in calories. I'm going to do the math real quick is 28,000 calories. So if I were to gain eight pounds of body fat overnight, I would have had to overeat 
by 28,000 calories. So probably close to like 30, 31,000 calories. Right? There's no way I overate by 31,000 calories in one night. So what happened? Right? What happened was I ate a bunch of salt. So a lot of water retention. I drank a bunch of alcohol, which typically increases inflammation. And then I ate a bunch of carbs. And because I was dieting, I, my, I was very low stored carbs in my uh, muscles. And when you have very low carbs and then you eat a bunch of carbs, your body goes, hey, we haven't had much of this in a while. Let's, let's grab this and store it while we can. And when your body stores carbohydrates, it also stores water with it. So basically that eight pound jump, the vast majority of it was salt, water, and inflammation. And by the time Monday rolled around, so that was a Friday into a Saturday, by the time Monday had rolled around, my weight was 170 pounds. Mm. So I went up eight pounds overnight, and I came down seven pounds in the next 48 hours. That's why we can't only use the scale as a sign of progress. You've got to use the scale. Because I think it does tell the story over, you know, like over a three-month period, if you've lost 20 pounds, you've probably lost 20 pounds. Maybe more. You use measurements, because that's going to give you a really good indicator of, am I building muscle at the same time, right? For guys, it's real easy. If the waist is decreasing, uh, the, you know, the hips are decreasing, and the chest is either staying the same, decreasing at a smaller amount, or is increasing right that says that we are probably losing fat and gaining muscle at the same time and if your waist is going down and your arms are getting bigger that's a surefire sign that you are building muscle and losing weight at the same time and then you know photos are great so the reason that before and after pictures are so important is that you know they are the last thing to change it's important to acknowledge that because what 20 pounds you know, looks like in your brain is probably not what it looks like in reality. When you go to the grocery store and you check out and you see all of those magazines, you see the crazy before and after photos, that's not actually what that looks like. They are right. lighting and they've used certain tricks of the trade to make it seem a lot more dramatic than it is. A lot of people assume that like, oh, hey, I'm, you know, I'm 220. If I lose 20 pounds, like I'll be ripped. It's like, eh, probably not you're probably going to have to lose like another 20 pounds and get down to like 180 to look right. ripped, right? You'll look in shape at like a, you know, a, a strong 200, but you're not going to have, you know, a six pack uh, at, at that weight. I mean, you can, but you've got to be carrying a hell of a lot of muscle to do it. So, you know, I think it just, you need to have multiple ways of tracking pro uh, progress. So the scale is great over a long period of time. It tells a story. Measurements are great because it validates what the scale is saying, or it allows you to see progress that the scale is hiding. And then photos just provide a visual representation of what that progress looks like. You just have to understand it's probably not going to look like a magazine cover, uh, you know, 20 pounds down. Right. Yeah. So just to elaborate on your app, um, your app provides a lot of substitutes for things that we're used to eating. Um, you alluded to that a little bit earlier uh, about the low-carb tortillas, um, which I thought was very helpful. Um, you know, there were certain uh, foods that we ate where pastas, 
as another example where we would it, the app would suggest instead of eating this eat these if you can find this type of flour or this type of uh, cornmeal go with this and, and and i think also the app also had some nuances to the the sheer amount that you're buying too so if i'm buying a three pound bag it would recommend me to buy a two and a half pound bag or a two pound bag because it knew that i was probably pulling the whole bag in one one dinner um it, so that was that was a big element of success that we had on on the program yeah and the i mean it let's that's a dynamic that i don't think's offered very often yeah, the, the app is really just a delivery mechanism for the program, right? So we should probably expand a little bit on the logistics of what the program is. So the program is really divided into multiple pillars, right? We've got the nutrition element, we've got the exercise element, we've got the brains you know, element working on all the stuff between the years, and then we've got the accountability side of stuff. So the nutrition the um, exercise side of things and this and working on the stuff between years that's all delivered through the app and then alongside that we have our coaching calls as well so these right. are you know conversations that you and i had andrew where it was a recap of like cool you know what did you learn this week from stuff inside the app and then what do we need to tweak moving forwards right so just like you mentioned like my favorite thing to help people with is those simple swaps right like a lot of people love tortillas. Mission do Mission the tortilla brand. They do these low carb tortillas, and yeah. they're like significantly fewer calories, higher protein, higher fiber, and they're more filling, and they taste great. Like if you if you blind taste tested them, I would have a hard time pulling them. Absolutely. Out. You we you know, we talked about pasta as well. So you know chickpea pasta and lentil pasta. There's a slight texture difference, but really not a ton. And especially if you're mixing it with like a meat sauce or a tomato sauce or, you know, something which, you know, you're not just eating straight noodles. It's a great substitute, tastes very similar, but you get way more protein, way more fiber. So when, you know, we talked earlier about making sustainable changes, that's exactly what this looks like. And just, you know, that was all kind of delivered through the app. But, you know, I want to stress, you know, we talked a lot throughout the process, um, Andrew, and, and, you know, I think a good coach does that. Right, they oh they own up of that people. Like, it was it's it, it's using the using the app. I mean, I, it was beneficial because it's giving you recommendations. It's it's giving you resources and choices and 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 uh, I thought that was important through the process because you're learning them. You're learning how to make adjustments and and the other thing I learned was don't be so chinchy when you're coming to, to when you're focusing on your health. So I can go buy the $1.50 can of tomato sauce, or I can pay $2.50 for the jar of tomato sauce. It's a better solution for my end goal. And if that becomes part of what I think about, then when I go to the store, I'm reading labels a little bit closer. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe using the app while I shop and try to figure out ways of, doing what I want to do, but it being better for me. Um, so it's, and we'll get into like what I, what I'm saying. I know what I'm saying, but I will, I want to use a, a, a punchline word, but the, also, also, so you have the working, working out piece. So you have, you have the food element 
And the other thing I'll add to the food element is this. A lot of accountability there. Because every time you're eating, for the most part, you're snapping a photo of what you're eating. And it's not a gotcha moment. It's more of like, hey, my, my coach, you, needs to know, is he over is it is a plate too big is it too small is there balance what are we what are we eating here and 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 when is it is it breakfast but i but the element to me that that kind of was kind of eye-opening and it it may be for others and it may be for a lot of your your clients because your whiskey focused was the, the the drams that i had at night so yeah, I don't have any kids at home. You don't either. And and some of the, I'm sure some of the clients you have either maybe have older children or no children or what, or maybe have the young children that go to bed at eight o'clock. And we're we're eating maybe later than usual, which is may not may not be necessarily healthy. And then we're having a dram or two or three or four while we watch the football games on Thursday night or Friday night. Um, and so looking at that data was eye-opening when we had our sessions, it was like, well, wait a minute, you know, is this necessary to do this? And, and, and so it was an aha moment for me to understand and reflect and, and under know that, well, wait a minute, this isn't, you're, you're just doing this out of repetition. You're not doing this because you enjoy it. It's because you have access and you can do it because you don't have any kids to take care of, right? So that, for me, it was an aha moment. I'm sure you have other clients that have aha moments that are similar or different or maybe it's the same. I don't know. Absolutely. No, I think that's a huge one. And since, you know, this is Whiskey Weight Loss and this is a, you know, a spirits-focused podcast, I think it makes sense to talk about it maybe a little bit more. So I think with alcohol, it's a really interesting thing. I was having this conversation with someone literally earlier today and they were asking me like, hey, what's the sweet spot for, for whiskey when losing weight? And it was an interesting question because sweet spot implies that, you know, that's the, the middle is, is best normally, right? And bluntly with alcohol, like the less is best for weight loss. Like if you want to lose weight, one of the best things you can do to make it easier on yourself is not drinking. That's why everybody right. recommends it. But the problem is, we like drinking. We like whiskey. Like, we have friends through whiskey. Whiskey's fun. So the balance becomes, how do we enjoy the thing that we want to enjoy without having it impact our health and our weight loss? And so some people will ask me, like, okay, well, how much can I drink while still losing weight? And to me, that's maybe the wrong way to look at it. The way I look at drinking and health is... When does an adult beverage like add value to the you know occasion? When does it add extra happiness? Right? Let's take that bottle share as an example. Not drinking a bottle share definitely ex like changes the experience. Sure, sure, right? But not drinking on a random Tuesday night doesn't really change the experience much. Right. Right. The TV is going to look the same whether right. you have you know, one ounces or four ounces. Maybe it's a little bit blurrier after four ounces, right? Right. 
fundamentally, it doesn't change the experience. So I look at it as this drink, which I know is not helping me towards my weight loss goals. What is it giving me in exchange for taking me further away from my weight loss goal? Yeah. And if that value exchange is I get to hang out with my friends, I get to talk about whiskey, I get to appreciate a really cool distilled beverage, that's worth it. Right. To an extent, right? If you're drinking a, a fifth of whiskey a week, I don't care how social you are, it's probably not worth it at that point. Right. Whereas, you know, let's let's call it two drinks a night, which I think by government standards is st- technically still moderate drinking, right? Two, two drinks a night, Monday through Thursday, when you're just watching TV and got nothing to do, that's not worth it for me. Yeah. Maybe it is to some people, but those people are going to have to accept the consequences that come to their health because of that. Right. Because you can only take a horse to water, right? You can't make a drink. Yeah. Yeah. My version of that is like, I can explain how alcohol affects weight loss, but at the end of the day, people are going to drink if they want to drink. Right. People that really are looking to find that balance and explore that nuance, those are the people that are going to have a ton of success being able to you know, achieve their health goals, whether it's looking better, feeling better, more energy, uh, you know, feeling confident like it was for me as a kid, those people will have success and still balance it with their, you know, enjoyment of, of whiskey or tequila or, or wine or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So as a client, um, a couple things you get. Oh, Oh well, we're having Weller now. Okay, I'm 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 empty. I'm I'm ready to. Uh... Hey, well, I do too. I've got it as well. Um, we're going Weller foolproof now. Yeah, this this, this one for sure is a sipper. favorite tater ball. Yeah. Um. So as a client, as a former client, it's still a client. I mean, that's, we still chat from time to time about gains that I've made and and things like that because. I think that your program was uh, the kind of the wake up call that I needed uh, at that time, and and really I was motivated to join um, your uh, weight loss group from my wife because she was having uh, she was having just troubles trying to find her niche, and and uh, so I went there with her, and but it really ended up being an accountability piece for me, um, so. Uh, not only do you get the nutritional education uh, and guidance, you get some accountability nutritionally for that. You also get uh, a weight loss or a workout program uh, and where Alex kind of demonstrates some things that he wants you to do, right? So you, 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 you build a, a program of resistance over a certain amount of weeks. So it starts out pretty simply where you're doing mostly your weight you're doing maybe some uh some light weights um you're you're doing uh a lot of abdominal type stuff breathing yoga um things like that right to start with yeah it's definitely got to be progressive right so it's just like when someone's new to whiskey you don't start them with you know barrel proof whiskey you may right. start them with something a little bit easier and then maybe build their palate up. And I think it's going to be true with workouts as well. Yeah. You've got to be able to make sure that we start with a solid foundation and then we build up from there. And depending on what you've got available to you in terms of workout equipment, I think that'll change. 
Sure. So if you're in a gym setting, it's maybe a little bit easier to accelerate a little faster just because of the equipment available. If you've got, you know, maybe it's just a few dumbbells at home, then that's totally cool as well. We can create something around that. Right. But, you know, there are certain limitations that come with a couple of dumbbells at home. Um, not to say it can't be successful. So uh, I want to shout out a, a client real quick. His name is Forrest, but he literally has two adjustable dumbbells in his bedroom and a pull-up bar. And we didn't even use the pull-up bar for the first, like, you know, 12 weeks, basically. Right. And all, all, all he did was a lot of nutrition stuff. He was more active throughout the day, something that we tracked and monitored and, and talked about and coached through. And then it was just dumbbell exercises. And, you know, he went from little soft and squishy to literally six pack apps. Uh, oh. So, it, you know, it, it can really work uh, depending on what you have available to you. But it's it's got to start easy and then feel like it progresses. Um, just like how a whiskey drinker would take a sip of barrel proof whiskey and make a face. You know, if, if day one workout kicks your ass so bad you don't want to come back, then uh, that's a problem. Right. Yeah, that's how we were uh, like first week. You're sitting, you know, you'd have a, a, a program uh, page where only active program users are in it. And we're encouraging each other like, hey, I worked out or hey, you know, I, I was able to get this goal or what have you. And it's kind of like, you know, just a group of individuals. And it's 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 not a big group. It's Anywhere from what forty to hundred, roughly less than that, right? Or yeah. So we've got the Facebook group, which is everyone who um, has ever been in the program. You know, it's it, since since we launched uh, the coaching program in in uh, you know twenty one. I think we've had just over a hundred people come through the doors. So we have the Facebook group, and then anyone who's currently in the program, we also have a smaller group chat, and that like normally anywhere from about. 25 to 35 people so everyone gets more than enough individualized attention um but you know it's still a big enough group to where when you want to share something there's always a group of people ready to cheer you on and right. it's just you know one up one person on the other side of the internet right there's there's there really is a group of uh you know people that are looking for that kind of sense of community and are happy to congratulate people on achievements and offer advice or something as simple as, Hey, I went to the grocery store today and I saw this, you know, new product. I've never seen it before. And I wanted to share it with the group. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Someone actually did that the other day. They did uh Kirkland, you know, Costco's brand had a brand, oh, yeah. Yeah. uh, breaded chicken, uh, strip and you know, they grabbed some and they gave us the, the review on it. Turns out they're pretty good. But what was cool is, you know, they have really good nutrition. So, you know, a, a crispy chicken strip, um, something that is very much a, a feature of the the whiskey weight loss program for people that enjoy them. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've got that, uh, you've got sessions with you where there's accountability and there's, and there's also adjustments. I, I thought that was uh, an element that where there was a partnership kind of through the process where. Um, if something wasn't working, then you would, you would recalibrate. Um, and so, Hey, um, I can't give up this, or I found it a challenge to do that. And you'd say, all right, well, you know it. Okay. Understood. If that's going to be something that's a non-negotiable, then 
we're going to make an adjustment to where where this is going to have to be more restrictive, or you're going to have to we're going to have to do this a little bit more. Um, and I, being adaptive as a coach, I'm sure it goes a long way with the clients and and their their potential. Absolutely. No, I, and I think that's you know part of a good coach's um, approach. I'm going to circle back to that building a house like uh, you know analogy. You know, if you're building a house and you say to the builder like, "Hey, I've decided I want an extra bathroom," and it's a non-negotiable. And the builder says, like, hey, well, this is the budget that we're working with. You know, if that's non-negotiable, that's cool. But we got to do something somewhere else so that we can pinch some pennies, right? Right. And it's exactly the same approach in, in nutrition and weight loss. It's like, hey, if you want that glass of whiskey every night and that's non-negotiable, that's totally fine. But we're going to have to do these things to right. allow you to do that yep. and still hit your weight loss goals. Um, but th dude, thank you for shouting that out. I, I I really do appreciate that, and I think adjustments have to be part of the process. Sure, sure. Um, it, yeah. And and then the and then the measurements, the photos. I mean, it, it was it, it collaboratively. It's a very fu fulfilled process that you go through, and there there's a lot of elements. But ultimately, you're you're training yourself to to be intentional and that was the kind of the gotcha word i didn't want to say it earlier um but you're it so you want to be intentional about who you want to be and you want to be this certain weight or you want to look this certain way you're intentionally thinking that you want this okay here are the intentional actions and the intentional you know accountability that goes along with that. So it, it, it's a great partnership. It's a, it, it's a very transparent process. Um, it's a, there, you know, there's not a lot of excuses at that point. You, you do the work, you see the results, you're intentionally thinking about, and that, that's what I remember about that process through, through that amount of time that, I just remember, and it, and it's led me on to what I've done now, um, that I was very intentional about what I bought. So I didn't go and buy the potato chips. I didn't go buy um, certain pastas. Um, and, and, and even if we were having to get together, you got egg noodles or you got, you know, certain lentil noodles or whatever. That just was the standard going forward. Um, and it was an intentional idea and, and, and thought to do it and, and coming out of that program, you know, I kind of drew a line in the sand and said, Hey, you know, I have to, I, I, I'm not getting younger. I have to start some type of resistance training. Uh, luckily and shout out to, to Dave and, and Dylan, they were my garage gains guys. Um, we did the, you know, March, I started really hammered home the the um the diet and my 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 things were mostly lunch was kind of my getaway from my wife because my wife she hammered like very good eating at dinner and so i got away from her at lunch because she wasn't around and so i just kind of did my own thing and i started getting in these i'm a really a creature creature of patterns like if 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 i can just find a place that has good stuff that I can go to that's convenient, easy, 
then then I'll go there as long as it's and I chose to, for it to be intentional. Be good for me as long as it's good for me and and I it's sustainable. Then I'm good and I can make it a pattern. And and that's what I did. I was eating salads every day, which was a lot better for me than hamburgers, French fries, fried chicken sandwiches, all this other stuff. And and then and then I uh, I was eating good at night. And then mixing in the workouts and things like that. And then having other people that were holding me accountable also is a big thing. Having a team around you, I think is super important that they're there to push you towards your goals. They know because you're going to verbalize to them. You're going to tell them, hey, I want to be 150 pounds or I want to, I want to, I want to bench press 200 pounds or whatever it is. You're, you're going to go into the gym. You're going to talk to them about what you're, goals are what you want to do and then they're going to be there and they're going to be like no you can't do three reps of that you got to do six or you know or they're going to be saying hey breathe you know you got to do this it's all these like little nuances that that help you move forward through this process and and it was great going through the program with my wife if 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 there's anybody that's listening to this or watching it it's a great program for for uh, spouses uh, because you kind of have that opportunity under one household to hold each other accountable um, and kind of call each other out and say, well, wait a minute, you forgot to take your measurements. Wait a minute, we got to take your pictures because I know my wife did not want to take pictures. Um, but um, it, I thought it was awesome. Um, it was a great program. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed the process, the details. Men are going to like the details. Women are going to like the results. Uh, yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for a the shout out and b you yeah. know just the 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 way you described it. I, I really appreciate that, and um, I love what you said there about like intentionality. And I think that's huge. Yeah, right? I think some people want to lose weight and then just forget it was ever a, a problem, and it doesn't work like that. You've got to stay intentional on it, and that's why it's important to make it easy. Um, and you know, I I, I I thought about this earlier, and I want to say it now, but like. At the end of the day, you are the summation of your actions. And that thought came to me uh, or popped into my head when you said about, you know, buying the $1.50 jar of tomato sauce or the $2.50 one that's a little bit healthier. It's like you are what you do. And if you are intentional when it comes to food, if you are in a pattern when it comes to healthier meals, if you do prioritize and spend some of your time looking after your body and getting your workouts in, you are going to be the result of those actions. Sure. Whereas if you, you know, drink for no reason during the week and, you know, you sneak in uh, packs of chips when no one's looking and, you know, all those things that you know you probably shouldn't do but do anyway, like, then you are going to live the result of those actions. So, dude, I, I just want to say thank you for, for summarizing so well and then... Um, yeah, that dude, that piece about intentionality. Um, I don't think I've ever had anyone articulate it like that. So I'm totally gonna steal that and and use it on Facebook somehow. Well, here's the thing is is when I think about intentionality, I think about somebody making a decision to take a pill and somebody taking a making a decision to do an injectable. That's intentional. Those are intentional activities. Um but they're, they're, they're leading to temporary results. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a great point about you've got to 
match intentionality with the right approach. Right. No one accidentally does the carnivore diet. There's intention behind it. No one accidentally does the right. diet, right? There's intention behind it. But you've got to pair that intentionality with the right methods that are also sustainable. Right. And I think there's a trade-off too that, I mean, there's, there's, so if I, if I decide to work out for an hour, that's an hour that I could have been laying on the couch or could have been watching TV. And then on top of that, there's also soreness that possibly comes from that. And, you know, muscle fatigue, there could be ligament routine, uh, like tennis elbow or whatever. I mean, there are, there's, you're going to have that, but ultimately, and I found this, even, even when I've had maybe a night out and I don't want to go work out when I do it. And I've seen some of your posts where you're like, you do it, you slug through it. You weren't your best. Stamina wasn't the best. Your results weren't the best. You didn't, you know, you didn't lift with the vigor that you typically have, but at the end of the process, you feel a hundred percent better. Oh yeah. No, no one ever leaves the gym regretting walking in. Right. Right. The head, the heaviest weight in the gym is the front door. If you can lift that, the rest <laughs> I, love that. I love that. That's awesome. Um, all right. So one last thing, one last thing. I don't want to deep dive into it cause we need to get into your new business, man. So you got you got this this uh, whiskey weight loss, and then we've got you've got a new endeavor that you just launched. So I want to get into that, but can you talk a little bit about supplements? Because I, I I found that that has helped my process a little bit, and I I was I would suppose that that would help some others. So can you talk a little bit about supplements and maybe how that may fit into that process? of of maybe moving forward and making gains or what have you absolutely so supplements is such a massive topic that i'll focus on just a few few quick things i know i threw a curveball at you we didn't have that but it's something i love talking about i think it's something that a lot of people find you know mysterious or interesting and I'll, i'll share this so when it comes to fat loss there is no magic supplement Right, we know this. That there's a few drugs that work fairly well. The injectables are one of them, but we've talked about the pros and cons with those. But with supplements, there's there's no pill that is going to, you know, no root extract, blah, 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 that's gonna speed up the weight loss process. There are a few good supplements for health, right? So vitamin D is something that if you don't get outside very often, might be a good idea. Okay. If you don't eat a whole lot of fish. Fish oil might be a good idea. Those are health supplements. And then where I really think supplements kind of shine is actually in the strength and muscle building process. Yes. So when it comes to strength building, you know, one of the ways you get stronger is by, um, you know, building muscle. To build muscle, you need you need protein. And you can get that from, you know, you can get that from chickpeas. You can get that from chicken. You can get it from beef. Like, bluntly, one of the easiest ways to get it is just through powders and shakes and stuff like that. Some people love them, some people hate them, right? So you got to find one that you enjoy, or at the very least tolerate. But that's a very easy way to get your protein in. And then the kind of the wonder drug, um, which I think is where you you were coming from this, uh, Andrew, is actually creatine. 
and creatine is a supplement um it's actually a a um element that is found naturally in steak but you would have to eat like i think 24 ounces of steak a day to get the same amount of creatine as one tiny scoop and one tiny scoop of creatine is enough to increase muscle strength enough to increase muscle endurance if you increase strength and endurance you also lift more weights when you lift more weights and then you eat more protein you build more muscle and the cycle kind of repeats it also potentially has some benefits in terms of brain health as well so it's not a hundred percent established but it seems to have a protective effect when it comes to things like alzheimer's and things like that so that's kind of like just a fun hidden health benefit of it but creatine is one of the most studied most safe supplements out there um you know unless you have pre-existing kidney disease in which case high protein may not be a good idea if you already have really high creatinine levels in your blood panel talk to your doctor before taking creatine but for the majority of people um you know creatine and supplemental protein vitamin d and fish oil are all really good ideas good good deal all right hey um you still have well or foolproof yeah i got a tiny <laughs> I get it too. Uh, cheers. Just uh, through Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. So good. It's so good. It's still weeded. The weeded bourbons. Did the weeded bourbons, the wheat whiskeys, and the high proof ones specifically, like that's such my jam. Like Old Elk is another one. The MVP yeah. juice. I, I love that stuff. Uh, I love well a foolproof. Um, honestly, any of the any of the higher proof wheated stuff is is just fantastic. The final one I got, uh, which I don't know if you have a bottle of this, but actually, you know, while we're in Texas, I figured oh, Lone Elm, yeah, some Lone Elm wheat whiskey finished in honey. Oh yeah, I had that um, in a in a in a previous um, uh, show. A podcast. Um, we had that on. Uh, I don't think we ever got to it though. It's really good. That's Dude, I tell you what, it's really good in is sweet tea. Oh, I bet. Like as a, as a, as in, a sugar tea? in sugar tea. So here's here's what I do, right? Being a health professional, I'll make uh, I'll take unsweet tea and then just mix in uh, like stevia. Okay, okay. So it's yeah, that's that's what I do. That's what I yeah. Do. And then a little bit of honey finished whiskey and like chef's kiss, man, is fantastic. Yeah. So something that you need to try, seriously need to try is the JT Melick. And I, you know, I'm hype. I'm hyping their stuff all the time because a, I'm from Louisiana. They're in Louisiana. Um, have you heard much about their stuff? I haven't. And like, okay, so it's a rice whiskey. Oh, so they took, they took a plantation that was a crawfish farm. And the crop, you know, crawfish in general, that business is being attacked by a lot of different, you know, Chinese. And now it's uh, Middle East is now creating crawfish farms. And so there's, you know, being with our standards, just like everything else, that industry is being kind of attacked, you know, but basically price gouged. Mm -hmm. And so um, they started looking around a couple of years ago at, the business and how hard it was getting. And so they were just like, Hey, let's just, let's just try whiskey. So they do a couple barrels and, and, and they do it and, and they're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's not bad. And then they give it to a couple friends and family members and 
they're like, this is freaking awesome. And then they go a little bit further and they're like, this is fantastic. You should roll with this. And so they're like, all right, well, we'll put a small distillery on our property and we'll do, you know, a couple batches. And so they start kind of small, they make small batch. So they're blending barrels and the first batch of their small batch rolls out and people freaking go crazy over it. All right. And then they start doing single barrels and this is more recently and people are going crazy. But here's the thing. And you'll, you'll love this as, as, uh, someone, uh, that's, that's detailed into nutrition and stuff like that. It's made of rice. So what do you eliminate? You eliminate wheat, mm -hmm. you eliminate rye, mm -hmm. which are potential allergens. Absolutely. Right. And so if I'm allergic to corn, wheat, rye, any of those three, which people are allergic to rye more than they think, then this is more of closer to a hyperallergenic product. I mean, if you think about it, it's a whiskey that's made of rice. And as long as you're not, you know, so anyway, it's, it's, it's a great product. Um, if you were here, obviously I'd make you a pour of it. Um, it's something definitely to look at in the future. Cause I, I think we're going to see it, uh, broadcast over Texas pretty soon. It's pretty affordable. Um, the small batches are around 35 to $40. And single barrels are fifty-five to sixty dollars. So that and stays market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, that's a great segue to your new endeavor. Um, so, so let's start with how you got. How'd you get into whiskey? And then you have a new a taste of whiskey, which is your new endeavor, right? Yeah. So how I got into whiskey, I wish I had something uh cooler than this but it's tragically stereotypical where i went to a bar with a friend i wasn't into whiskey at the time and he ordered a whiskey and he was like you know you should try this with me and i was like ah you know whiskey's not really my thing and then he's like ah try this you'll you'll like it and you know i i, I tried to humor him so anyway he slides over a glass of blanton's right and i try it i don't hate it um and i'm like all right maybe, maybe this isn't isn't too bad um, horrib horribly stereotypical, but that is my, my whiskey origin story that then followed up when I learned that Blanton's was allocated and like hard to find. <laughs> right. right. So anyway, then, you know, not long after that COVID started, you know, kind of biting its, its teeth, so to speak, and everything started shutting down. And I, like many people got furloughed. I didn't have anything to do. So I found out that Total Wine uh, did its allocation drop on like, you know, the, the first Wednesday of the month or whatever. So anyway, I, I walk in. I don't think many other people got the memo because there weren't many people there with me. And anyway, there was uh, Blanton's, Weller 107, Eagle Rare, and E.H. Taylor, and I could buy one of each. And I thought, this allocated whiskey stuff is easy. And honest, I swear to God, Andrew, that's, that's the easiest I've ever had it in terms of finding allocated whiskey. Sure. But between the Blantons and then, you know, walking into Total Wine and discovering what was at that moment, you know, a gold, you know, a, the, the proverbial gold mine in terms of allocated whiskey, uh, that's what really kind of sent me down the, the rabbit hole. And uh, then I made friends with my uh, local specs manager 
he was like, hey, me and some buddies, you know, we come drink whiskey on uh, these this day, come drink with us. Then we got talking about whiskey and, and fitness and um, all that stuff. And that was basically the inception of, of whiskey weight loss to come full circle. But um, no, I like whiskey weight loss is, is my day job, right? That's, that's what I do as a job. Uh, the tasting business, man, that I just do for fun. Like, yes, it's a business. You know, I, I, I charge people for it. Um, you know, I do classes and, you know, I, I work with companies for client entertainment and stuff, but honestly, man, I just do that for fun. So if I can talk about whiskey yeah. and what I really want to focus on in my tastings is removing bias. Mm. So a lot of times when we drink something, we get label bias, right? Our buddy mm. flops a glass across the bar and says, you're going to like this. Yeah. And whether you decide to or not, you're probably going to just out of peer pressure. Yeah. And I want to try and remove that. Like I'm a nerd when it comes to like whiskey science and understanding tasting notes. So when I do classes, it's all blind. The very least single blind, sometimes double blind. I love that. Yeah. Single blind being, you know, the bottles, but you don't know which one's which. Double blind being, I have four whiskeys, right? They fit into these four categories, but you don't know the bottle. You don't know which one's which. Yep. And I just love being able to take people through a tasting journey and have them, you know, kind of get to know this wonderful spirit without being influenced beforehand. And they get to make up their own mind about something without being led to feel a certain way. Right. So, you know, I've done a, I did a class uh, with the Weller lineup, right? So we did Special Reserve, Weller 12, 107, and Foolproof. And, you know, a lot of people preferred Special Reserve over Weller 12. One who cost 30 bucks, one cost 200. And, and availability. And availability. And availability, too. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, really cool to be able to see that. Um, I did a E.H. Taylor one. And I did small batch, single barrel, barrel proof, and poor man's four grain. Poor man's oh, four grain was really popular. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's, it just goes to, you know, it helps people kind of maybe get away from the, I, I, I can only chase allocated whiskey, um, but also appreciate some of the differences. So like another, another blind I do is like a bourbon, a rye, a wheat, and a scotch. Yeah, sure, sure. And it just allows people to be like, oh, like actually, I, I think I like Irish whiskey more than I maybe thought I did. And I'm a, I'm a teacher and a coach by heart, and it's just a way for me to express that and have a little bit of fun uh, with it. And bluntly, I get to pay to drink whiskey and talk about whiskey. So well, like, that's the best job in the world, in my opinion. I mean, so a lot of people don't know this, but this podcast was originated from a sampling. It wasn't really a sampling business. It was more like, hey, bourbon at the Beckham, Beckham Hotel. So I was kind of the leader of that and I would, um, I'd buy, you know, a flight and I would have it here and a lot of it, some of it was blind, some of it wasn't, some of it was like Texas, some of it was, um, we're going to do Kentucky, we're going to do uh, Hunter Proof or Less, Hunter Proof or Over, and uh, we, we tried a bu bunch of different things, but the label bias is absolutely there and and I also did one flight that was um shelf bottle and barrel pick nice. so can you taste the difference between a barrel pick and a shelf bottle 
And, uh, and I thought that was a fun one too. Well, so during COVID, it was very popular, very popular for people to come to samplings because they needed something to do. Absolutely. They wanted to get out. They, and here was an opportunity to come out and do the sampling and it, it grew. I mean, it, the most I ever had was like 20 or 22 or somewhere in that almost a full bottle done. That's impressive. So it was really fun. We had city officials. We had just a little bit of everybody there. And it was very interactive. And my favorite part of the whole thing, even though it was a lot of, it's a lot of work, right? I mean, it's a lot of work. It is. More than people think. You're you're setting up the, the glasses. You got to get the bottles. You're pouring. You got to make sure that nobody gets over poured. You're handling the crowd to a certain degree because you're trying to make sure that when people are making comments, it's relevant. And that side chatter is kind of minimal because if you want people to feel like their view is, is valid. And, and so, and then you have people that are, that don't like to talk that you want to talk because they normally have really good points um, and, and really relevant ways of explaining the process and what they're tasting and stuff like that. So you want to make sure you touch them. They have a good time, and, and it's just a lot of work. I know that. I've done it, it a bunch, it, bunch of times. So then, um, and then you're coordinating it month to month. Well, it got to a point after COVID where it was just not, like we, the participation wasn't there. And I think that the the, the, the way that your business is modeled, you're going to have a lot more success because it's more sculpted towards groups. Whereas I was just hosting it. It was like, Hey, on the 12th, we're going to have a, uh, flight here. And this is what we're going to do. Um, versus, uh, what you're doing is, Hey, look, do you have 10 people we can bring together and have this? And you tell me what you want. Do you want, do you want this to be blind where, you let me kind of take control. I think that's a great way of sculpting a, a fun night. Is, yeah. And, and, and the thing about it is like one of my favorite flights that we do from time to time out here in East Texas is a budget bourbon flight. So you, you, so you take the price of maybe the sampling down just a hair and you still have the same kind of, setting and stuff but you're look you're sampling bottles that are sub 40 sub 50 sub 50 and and then you get into you know the old bargains and you get into you know the ezra's and you get into um bottles that we tend to overlook and um uh one that constantly comes up is heaven hill seven year you know that one is just a solid performer that People overlooked it because because it, it's available a little bit more now, and uh, and and Elijah Craig, and 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 Wood Forest, uh, uh, yeah, Wood Forest weeded. That those are all you know ones that kind of get overlooked, and so I enjoy that a lot. Buffalo Trace obviously is a solid performer in a lot of those lines, um, but it I enjoy those because it's so interesting to kind of get people's feedback on something that they can't. They, they can see the product, but they don't know who made the product. They And then those blatant killer bottles, they're like, oh, this is Blanton's, you know, it's just, 
it's fun. It's a great atmosphere too. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, uh, you know, I, I haven't had a, a bad event. You know, there's been quieter events. There's been rowdy events, but there's not been, there's not been a bad one yet. And, uh, I, you know, I think just like you've uh, described really well there, Andrew, it's, you know, people being able to, you know, have those kind of light bulb moments and be like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe Blanton's isn't the best whiskey on the planet. Maybe this super available shelfer is actually a really good kind of uh comparison there yep hey so shout outs we're here we're to the point where uh you get to talk about maybe somebody who's who's impacted you recently in the past um give us some shout outs of some people that have have navigated you talked about your dad earlier obviously he's big in in in, in the transitional period of of things with the gym and all that good stuff, but talk to me about some some folks that that uh, that that we should show some love to. Absolutely. So uh, I'll I'll do one personal one and uh, one professional one too. So uh, personal one's very close to my heart. So uh, he was taken from us a, a touch too early, unfortunately. But my grandfather was a really massive influence uh, on me, and uh, you know he always encouraged me to be entrepreneurial. Um, he was a big history person. He loved teaching. He was very passionate. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to think I, I channel a lot of the stuff that he, you know, really uh, lived for. And uh, he, he inspired me a ton in, in terms of how I live and, and you know, kind of how I do things. Um, so shout, shout out to, to Theo. And then uh, on the professional side of stuff, I'd love to shout out a distillery um here in texas iron root distillery you know maybe you know many people listening have heard maybe they haven't but it's a wonderful family-owned distillery and uh personally they've helped me out a couple times with things recently they actually gave me uh you know samples of different grains that they use in their whiskey one of the thing, cool things i want to do in a tasting is actually have everyone try the different grains so they get to see what malted barley tastes like versus corn versus wheat Right, so you can appreciate the spirit, but also going from green to glass too. Um, I think that's yeah, and they just did that out of the, out of the kindness of their heart. Um, you know, they're they're a great bunch of people. Uh, really interesting. They love teaching. They love sharing their passion for bourbon, specifically Texas whiskey as well. And uh, you know, just a just a great bunch of people. So uh, those those are my two shout-outs, Andrew. Awesome man, it's been great having you on. Uh, we've learned a ton. You have a great program. You have two great businesses, but your daytime job, I know a lot about. It's it's uh, awesome. Um, anybody that's that's on the fence about possibly going into that program, you're welcome to PM me anytime. I'll answer any question very transparently, or you can reach out to Alex um, as part of this this program. I can link you with him, and uh, we can get you started on that program been awesome uh episode eight josh thanks for being here we had some technical dif difficulties to start this this program but we we got through we got through the challenges we had some great pours uh we so our next programs get a, pretty serious not that this wasn't a serious one but we get into some serious seriousness uh that my goal for this program was to have some pours, enjoy whiskey and, and things like that, but also champion some some local heroes and entrepreneurs and 
folks that will just just put their heart out there and, and show us their spirit. And we're going to start that process in the, in the next couple of weeks. And, and we've got a couple of weeks that we're talking about. By the way, this is this is perfect timing, Alex. We got the holidays around the corner. We do. We had some temptations. Lost temptations. A lot of people, and, and Andrew, you know, no judgment on these uh, individuals, but a lot of people will want to wait until after the holidays to get started on something and become one of those January 1st people. Right. Let me just tell you, life is a lot easier to take a step forward when you didn't just take two steps back. And that's, right. that's what most people do over the holidays. They take two steps back with the intention of taking a step forward in January. And sometimes it happens, but often it doesn't. Uh, you're much better off getting ahead of the problem and, uh, you know, working working on it, you know, through the holidays. We still have fun. I still eat pie. Uh, you know, yep. we still enjoy those things. We just do it in a way that uh, doesn't set you up for failure come, come the new year. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And appreciate you guys viewing uh, that you made the world spin around for us. We we really enjoy uh, bringing you these uh, these podcasts and this information. Thanks so much for out Shaw for being on, and we'll see you in episode nine. Thanks.